But if you have a Bible, either a printed copy like I do right here, or you have a digital copy on your phone, let me encourage you to hold it up right now and repeat after me what we believe about this book. This is God's Word. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. It is the supreme source of truth for what we believe and how we live. Now, open up your copy of God's Word with me to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Her name was Stacy Nicholson. She grew up in an affluent home. Her dad was the CEO of a bank. Her mom was a commercial real estate agent. But I want you to listen to what she said about her childhood. She said, we had a lot of nice things, but as a little girl, I remember being very empty. So she began searching for the love and attention that she craved. And by the age of 15, she got that attention by having sex. A promiscuous lifestyle opened the door to drugs, alcohol, and eventually she had an abortion. Then one day she found a profession that gave her the money that she desired, but it stripped away her dignity and her self-worth. It was an exotic dancer. Stacy said this. She said, I began to learn that these men would offer you money to perform sex acts, and you could make a lot of money for what I'd already compromised in my life anyway. I had no boundaries. Stacy thought that she was finally in control of her life. Then one night, as she was out doing a bachelor party, the doors burst open, and she was caught in a sting operation and was, was um, caught for prostitution. She was placed in jail. She was there all alone, and when she was sitting in that jail cell, she cried out to God. This is what she said. She said, Lord, save me. God, if you're real, would you show me who you are? I want to know you or who you are because there's nobody else to help. And if you're real, just let me see who you are. And God did. Amazingly, God stepped into her situation and the charge of prostitution was dropped down to trespassing. Stacy was free to start her life all over again. God answered her prayers. But she really didn't have an understanding of who God was or what God had planned for her life until several weeks later. That day she met God in a different way. She was walking by a church and, and as she was watching the people enter into that church on that Sunday morning, she heard this voice speaking to her. And this is what she said she heard. Come just as you are. She said, I believe it was at that point that the Holy Spirit was drawing me to himself. It was Jesus coming to my rescue. And that next Sunday, Stacy found herself in that church sitting in a seat that she was in front of the week before. And as she sat down to listen to the pastor preach, this is what he said. He said, Jesus has come for the irreligious the unholy, the murderers, the liars, the perverts. And then he said, the prostitutes, the outcast, the broken ones of society. 
Stacy said, when he said prostitute, I thought that he knew who I was and what I had done. It was as if he was speaking to me. And then the pastor said, in this moment, if you would like to receive Jesus Christ into your heart, I invite you to come and stand up. Or you can sit where you are in your seat. Whether you whisper it under your breath, God hears your heart. He knows where you are. He gave the invitation. And Stacy said, I didn't choose to sit in my seat and whisper it under my breath. As soon as he gave the invitation, I jumped up out of my seat and I shouted, I believe. She said, the people in the church sitting around me were probably saying, whoa, who is this woman? But that day, Stacy gave her life to Jesus. She trusted God to love her in spite of her past and that God would give her a brand new future. This morning, I want to introduce you to a woman who is very much like Stacy, a, a woman who was lost, trying to fill her life, the void in her life with the things of this world. But when she found Jesus, her life was completely changed. We don't know her name. The only way we know her is by her location. We know her as the woman at the well. Now I want you to notice how her story begins in John chapter 4 verse 4. It says he, Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Now John chapter 3 tells us that Jesus was on his way back from Judea to Galilee. And the shortest, the quickest route back to Galilee was through Samaria. But most Jews would never step foot in Samaria. They hated it that much. They would rather take the route 20 miles around Samaria than to go through Samaria. But the Bible says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not because he was in a hurry, but because he was on a mission. There were people there in Samaria who needed to know the love of God. And the woman at the well was one of them. The truth is the woman at the well had a divine appointment. And I believe with all my heart there may be some of you here this morning who are here by divine appointment. You think that you're here because you're trying to make your spouse happy or you're here because you're a child and, and your parents made you come. You may have come for some other reason, but I want you to know I believe you're here by divine appointment. God loves you and God wants you to know and experience that love. Well, the Bible says that when they arrived in a town that was called Sychar, Jesus' disciples went into town searching for food. They left him at Jacob's well all by himself. Now we are told that Jesus was tired from the long walk. He was probably hot because of the time of day it was. And the Bible tells us that shortly after noon, a woman came to the well all by herself. This woman most likely came by herself on a daily basis. But today would be different. Today would be a day that changed her life forever. Because of the time of day that she was there, and because she was all by herself, most likely she was a social outcast. Most likely she had few friends in the community. Most likely her life was filled with problems, most of them 
were probably self-made problems. When Jesus came up, Jesus asked her for a drink of water. And understand, there were plenty of reasons that Jesus should have never asked this woman for a drink of water, but he did. And the woman immediately put up her defenses. She said, how can you ask me for a drink? And Jesus responded and said, if you know the gift that I have for you, and you know who I am, you would be asking me. And I would be giving you living water. Oh, this sparked this woman's curiosity. So she asked Jesus how he was going to get this water because he didn't have a bucket, he didn't have a rope, he didn't have any way to get water from the well. And Jesus said this, he said, everyone who drinks of this water, Jacob's well, will thirst again. But anyone who drinks the water I give will never thirst again. And so to this, the woman said, give me some of this water. And so Jesus said, okay, go call your husband and then come back. And the woman said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with right now isn't your husband. Well, at this point, this woman knew there was something different about Jesus. And he said, you must be a prophet. And then she asked him, what is the right place for us to worship. And Jesus said it's not about the place. The kind of worshipers that Jesus or God is looking for must worship in spirit and in truth. At this the woman said we know that the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world is coming. And when he comes he will explain all this to us. And to that Jesus said I am the Messiah. You can imagine how this woman reacted. She went back to town and she began to shout, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Could this be the Christ? The Bible says that many in the town came to believe in Jesus. As a matter of fact, verse 42 says that they said, now we know he is indeed the Savior of the world. Now what can we learn from this story? This is one of the most popular stories in the Gospels. Many people who don't even go to church know the the basics of the story of the woman at the well. But I believe that there are four timeless truths that we need to learn from this story, regardless of where we are in our journey with Jesus. Because the reality is, We are all at different places in our walk with Christ. There are some of us that have been walking with Christ for a long time. There are others of us who are are fairly new in this walk. And there are some of us who haven't yet begun the walk. We haven't begun the journey. We're trying to figure it out. We're trying to figure out whether we even want to walk with Jesus or not. And I'm here to tell you, regardless of where you are, There's a word for you in this story. So four truths. Here's truth number one. The love of God knows no barriers. Write that down on paper. Put it in the margin of your Bible. But put it in your mind so that you never forget it. The love of God knows no barriers. 
Listen to what it says beginning in verse 7. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised for Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. Let me say that again. Jews refuse to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you're a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Now, there are a number of reasons why Jesus should have avoided this woman altogether. But Jesus broke down every single barrier to share God's love with someone who was in need. And so let me ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to break down barriers so that people who are separated from God can experience his love and his mercy and his grace? Or are you building barriers keeping people away from the love and the mercy of God. Understand this. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how bad you've been, how poor you are, what color your skin may be. God loves you. And God longs for a relationship with you. Jesus saw someone alone, hurting, rejected by the world. And yet he stepped into her life To show her God's love. Now I want you to notice some of the barriers Jesus broke down. Jesus broke the gender barrier. Now there was a day in our country when women didn't have many of the rights they have today. There was a day when women didn't even have the right to vote. Some people say there was a day in America when women were considered second class citizens. And that may be correct. But I want you to know that women in our country have never experienced what it was like to be a woman in Jesus' day in that world. Women were considered nothing more than property. As a matter of fact, a rabbi, and Jesus was a rabbi, would not even greet a woman in public. And yet Jesus broke all of that down because he was a woman who needed to experience God's love. He broke the gender barrier. Second, he broke the racial barrier. The Samaritans were a mixed race. They were part Jew. They were part Gentile. And in 722 BC, when the Assyrian army came in and and conquered Israel, they took away everyone but the poorest of the poor and, and resettled them throughout the Assyrian empire. And then they brought other people, Gentiles from all over the Assyrian empire, and they resettled them into Israel. And the poorest of the poor Jews that were living there began to intermarry with the Gentiles who came into Israel and thus the Samaritan race emerged. And this infuriated the Jews. And the prejudice was terrible. The Jews hated the Samaritans and the Samaritans hated the Jews. Many Jews hated the Samaritans so much that Pharisees would pray that no Samaritan would be raised at the resurrection. I mean, they were literally praying that the Samaritan people would burn in hell. Now, that's prejudice. But understand, prejudice is nothing new. And prejudice knows no barriers. It doesn't matter what the color of your skin may be, you can be prejudiced. And the reality is, there is still a lot of prejudice in our land. But Jesus broke down 
that wall of prejudice so that the love of God could touch a woman's life. The third barrier was the moral barrier. Later on in this conversation, we see that this woman was morally lax at best. She had gone through five failed marriages. And now she was living with a man in open sin. Think about how hard we have as a time to talk to certain people. How we find it difficult to break through barriers to to have conversations, to build relationships with certain people because of their lifestyle choices. And I'm afraid that more often than not, we who call ourselves Christians can have a Pharisee mentality. And let me ask you, how, how do you look at the homosexual? How do you look at the transsexual? How do you look at the drug addict, the alcoholic, the, the child molester? The list is endless. You see, oftentimes it's hard for us to break through these moral barriers, these things that we see morally reprehensible, and build relationships with people who are far from God so that they can experience the love of God. But Jesus broke through these barriers. And finally, there was the religious barrier. The Samaritans had their own temple. They had their own priests. And they even twisted the scripture to fit, to, to, to fit in with their own view of history. Now, the reality is we can find people here in the Columbia area from almost every religious ideology available. And we need to ask ourselves, what do we do to reach out to them? Do we, re, do we build bridges to reach them? Or do we build walls to keep them out. Folks, listen. God accepts people where they are with all of their hang-ups, all of their baggage. And if we are ever going to see lives truly transform, we must figure out how to accept people and love people without condoning and accepting their lifestyle choices. Each of us can probably think about a group that we just don't want to have anything to do with because we look at them and we think the way they live is reprehensible. And so are you building bridges or are you building walls that are keeping people from God's love? There may be some of you here in this room who, who think that there are walls that are keeping you from God's love. But I want you to know that the Bible says that there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Absolutely nothing. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've fallen. It doesn't matter how dirty you feel. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus. Not your past, not your present. So the love of God knows no barrier. There is nothing that can keep you from experiencing the love of God. The second thing that we see in this story is that the gift of God knows no equal. When the woman asked, why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus said, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. If you only knew. And that's so true. If the people of the world only knew that the wells of this world are never going to satisfy, 
they would quit searching in these wells for satisfaction. There's nothing in this world that can compare to what God wants for each and every one of us. Unfortunately, many of us are, are trying to quench our thirst from the wells of life. There's the well of money. We feel like if we get enough money in our pocket, in our bank, in our savings account, then, then we'll be satisfied. But, but we get more and more and we find out we need more and more. There's the well of pleasure. We feel like if we have certain types of pleasure, it may be a sexual pleasure, it may be adrenaline, it may be something else. But if we get this pleasure then we're going to be satisfied and, and we find that pleasure that is found in that gaming system or whatever else and we discover it doesn't satisfy. There's the well of success and we dig deep and we find ourselves climbing the ladder and we're one of the most successful people in our field and yet deep down inside there's something still missing. And then there's the well of relationships. We think that if we find the right relationship, then, then certainly that void, that emptiness that is inside will be filled, but it's not. You see, we're looking anywhere and everywhere to quench the thirst, but the one place that can quench the thirst. God said this to the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 2. He said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You see, that's what we've done. We've dug our own cisterns, our own wells, trying to find this thing that can fill us and satisfy us, but, but our wells are broken and they are never going to fill us with God, what God wants to give us. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with money, there's Nothing wrong with pleasure. There's nothing wrong with success. And there's nothing wrong with relationships. But those things will never give you what you're looking for deep within. And that's one of the major problems in marriage, by the way. I want you to listen for a second. You see, we get married and we think we found that person that can meet all our needs. And understand, when we get married... It should be our desire to meet the needs of our spouse. It says that in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But the reality is no person can ever meet your every need. And so we marry a person thinking that, that I found the person that can meet my every need and we discover they can't meet my every need. And so what do we do? We search for someone else who can meet our every need and we discover they can't meet my every need and we continue to search and search and search like this woman at the well who was on her sixth attempt. Doesn't work that way. People do that with jobs. They jump from job to job thinking if I find the right job, it's going to satisfy my soul. And understand, God created you unique. He gave you gifts and abilities and talents that are different than other people. And because of that, there are things that you're probably good at there are things that you enjoy that someone else may hate. But what you need to realize is there are no perfect jobs. 
And and so if we think finding that job is going to fill that void, that emptiness in us, we're going to be in for a rude awakening because we're going to find that that job is no different than the job before and the job before. It leaves me empty because there is nothing in this world that can fill the void in your life. The things of this world will never satisfy. Listen to what Jesus said. It says, Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. I become, it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. And that's so true. When we come to know Jesus, he gives us a satisfaction deep within that, that will never go away. Regardless of what's happening in our world, now let me put a disclaimer on that. I want you to listen. You see, even though we have those springs of water in us as Christians, we can cap the well. You hear me? We can put a cap on the well. And all of a sudden, we're not experiencing that living water anymore because we've capped the well. We've got to keep that living water flowing in us if we want it to satisfy us. And if we do, it will. Notice what Jesus said about what he gives the living water. It's a gift. It can't be earned. It satisfies forever. There's pleasure in sin, but it's only for a season. It's eternal. We never have to worry about losing it. It becomes a spring of water that bubbles within us and springs out through us. And that's what happens when we come to know Jesus and and we experience that living water. It just bubbles out of us onto the people around us. The love of God knows no barriers. The gift of God knows no equal. There's a third thing here, and that is the knowledge of God knows no limitations. Now, when this woman heard how good the gift of God was, she wanted it. So Jesus said, go call your husband and then come back. And, and she tried to hide her past by saying, I have no husband. Now, she wasn't lying, but she was withholding the truth. And you see, that's what sin does. Whenever we have sin in our life and we're convicted about that sin, we kind of withhold the truth. And the reason we do is because our sin brings guilt and shame and regret. Now, there may be some of you here today who you're living in sin. You're living in a relationship just like this woman at the well. Or or there may be some other sin in your life. And you say, I have no shame. I have no regrets. And the reality is you can harden your heart. Your heart can become calloused and crusted over so that you don't even sense that guilt and shame that that comes from the Holy Spirit convicting us. But oh, if you're at that point, I beg you, let the power of God tear away that crustiness and that callousness because it's a dangerous thing not to feel the guilt and shame of our sin. You see, when we sin against God, we try to hide it. We try to cover it up. We do all kinds of things. But we can't hide our sin from God. Woman said, I have no husband. You said, you're right. You had five. And now you're living in open sin. You're living with a man who's not your husband. Jesus knew everything about this woman. 
And this woman knew it at this time. She realized, if he knows this about me, there's nothing I can hide from him. Later on in verse 29, she said, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Now, why did Jesus expose her sins? Why did Jesus say, you're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five, and the man you're now living with isn't even your husband. Why did Jesus do that? Because, you see, for her to experience the life God had planned for her, she had to be willing to face both her past and her present. You see, this woman had to face her sins to experience the salvation that God had to offer. And that's the same for each and every one of us. And yet what we do most often is we try to excuse our sins, conceal our sins, hide our sins. But Jesus always reveals our sins. And he will reveal yours too. For you who are Christians, I want you to hear me very clearly. You are not helping people when you try to legitimize or Christianize their sins. You are condemning them to hell. Jesus exposed this woman's sins, and yet he loved her in the midst of her sins. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to love people in spite of their sin. You see, our problem is we think it's our job to change people. And that's why we're so frustrated. We see a person who is caught in the bondage of homosexuality and we think it's our job to, to get them free. We think it's our job to, to set the transsexual free, the drug addict, the sex addict free. You can't. But what you can do is you can introduce them to the one who can and that's Jesus. He's the only one who can truly set them free. Years ago, in the late 80s, when AIDS was, was a big deal and in the news, and churches were trying to figure out how do we handle people coming to church who have AIDS. I was at a church pastor and I got a call from, from the local hospital, the emergency room, and they told me there was a young man there in his 20s who had AIDS would I come and see him? And I said, sure. And so I went in and I began to talk to this young man who was in his 20s. And as we talked for a while, I began to talk to him about Jesus and, and the need to repent and, and to accept God's grace in his life. And this young man immediately put up his barriers, his defenses, and he said, I haven't sinned. There's nothing wrong with my lifestyle. And I can't explain it. But I want you to know that, that a supernatural love came over me. I, I began to love that young man in his 20s with a love that was way more than my love. And I just began to bawl and cry. And, and I began to beg him to admit his sin and, and trust in Jesus. And he refused. So I prayed with him. I told him, if you want to talk later, just reach out. There's people here who can get in touch with me. And I left the emergency room, and I, I went to another part of the hospital to visit a member of our church. And, and while I was in their room visiting, a message came across the intercom for me to go back to the emergency room. And when I got into the emergency room to this young man's room, he was bawling like a baby.
And he said, I know I'm a sinner. I know the way I'm living is wrong. I so need Jesus. And there holding his hands with his tears shedding and my tears falling, he prayed and he asked Jesus to forgive him, to save him and change him. Now this young man was from another town. I never saw him again. But I will see him again. When I die and I enter into the gates of glory, I believe he'll be there. And I believe he'll come up and I think he'll hug me. And I think he'll say, thank you for being honest with me and telling me about Jesus and urging me to repent. And I'll say, don't thank me. Thank him. And I'll point to Jesus. Because my sins are just as bad as his sins. The wages of my sin is death. The wages of your sin is death. The wages of every one of our sins is death. We all need a Savior. And it doesn't matter what we've done. It doesn't matter the extent of the depravity of our lifestyle choices. We need Jesus. The knowledge of God knows no limitations. Trust me, you can't hide what you're doing from God. He knows. And He still loves you. And He's calling you to Himself. He's longing to give you the life He created for you. Don't reject it. The fourth thing we see here is that the worship of God knows no substitute. Listen to what it goes on to say. It says, Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes from the Jews. But the time is coming indeed, it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit. So those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ, when he comes he will explain everything to us. Now, some people believe that this woman was trying to change the subject here, but I don't think that's true. I think that she recognizes there is something special about Jesus, but she misses the point. And so she, begin focuses, she begins to focus on the places of worship, and in doing so, she is focusing on surface issues instead of the substantial issues. You see, it's not about religion, the way we worship. It's about relationship, who we worship. And that's why Jesus takes it back to himself. She says, we're looking for the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. And Jesus says, I am the Messiah. Well, listen, the only way that you and I can have eternal life in heaven, the only way that you and I can have happiness here on this earth is through a personal relationship with Jesus. 
It's not about the place we worship. It's not about the clothes we wear. It's not about the songs we sing. It's about the Savior we know. There was a song that used to be a contemporary song. It's kind of an oldie now, but it went like this. It said, who can satisfy my soul like you? Who on earth can comfort me and love me like you do? Who could ever be more faithful and true? I will trust in you. I will trust in you. Living water rain down your life on me, cleansing me, refreshing me with life abundantly. River full of life, I'll go where you lead. I will trust you. I will trust you. You see, this woman discovered that Jesus was the living water. And it changed everything about her. Now notice what she did. Look at verses 28 and following. It says, the woman left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Then it goes on to say, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. Did you get that? When this woman came to that point where she believed that Jesus was the Messiah, she dropped everything to go tell other people about Jesus. And that should be each and every one of our natural responses to the Savior. And her message was simple. Come and see. And then she put out a hook. Could this be the Christ? Now she was a brand new believer. She had just been a follower of Christ for moments. And yet she went back to her village and was telling people that despised her to come and see a man that quite possibly is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And notice the result. The Bible says that many in the town believed. Now I don't know, but maybe God wants to use you to reach your school. Maybe God wants to use you to reach your place of employment. Maybe God wants to use you to reach your neighbors, your friends, your family. I don't know. But I do know that every one of us, like this woman at the well, are called to reach out to other people. So let me end with two questions. The first one is this. Have you responded to your divine appointment? You have one. God desperately wants a relationship with you. He created you. You're not here by chance. You're here by His design. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in His image, in His, like, in his likeness, so that you can have a relationship with Him. But sin marred that. Sin destroyed that. But Jesus came so that could be restored. So our sin could be forgiven, we could be set free, and, and the relationship with God could be opened up again. So if you responded to your divine appointment, if you haven't, well, listen to me. There's nothing more important for you to do today than to humble yourself before God and ask Him to save you. You don't need to come to God and say, God, 
I'm not as bad as most people, but I still need you to save me. No, you don't need to do that. You don't need to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've tried my best, but I know it's not good enough. I need you. You don't need to do that. You need to come to God like the Apostle Paul did. The Apostle Paul said, I am the worst of all sinners. The chief. And I believe that when you come to understand the goodness of God and the sinfulness of man, you're not going to come thinking you're pretty good. You're going to come realizing how bad you really are inside and out. You're going to be crying out for the Savior to save you. And if you're at the point you're, you're ready for the Savior to save you, then today's your day. So have you experienced your divine appointment? Here's the second question. Are you willing to be used in someone else's divine appointment? You see, when God saves us, God doesn't save us to sit and wait for Him to come back and take us home. No, God saves us and puts us into His army to rescue the captives who are held captive by the power of the enemy, Satan. You're to be a part of someone else's divine appointment. So are you willing to be used? I want to close with with some words from Stacy Nicholson. She said, when I said yes to Jesus, I literally felt the chains drop off my body. I know how she felt. I felt this release, this freedom come over me. I felt much like the woman at the well. Where the woman at the well goes to tell her friends, hey, there's this man and he just exposed me. He knows everything that I've done. Can you believe this? I'm not ashamed. That was me. God knows everything I've done and he loves me. And so at that moment I was filled with freedom and joy and life and love. It was as if Love came and just touched my heart and I knew that was what I was looking for all my life. That's what you can have today. You may not know it, but that's what you're looking for. So two questions. Do you know Jesus? If you don't today, there are going to be pastors down here at the front, myself and several others. If you need to humble yourself and ask Jesus to save you, we want you to take up a bold step, a courageous step. And in just a moment, step out of your seat, come forward and tell one of the pastors, I need Jesus. And we'll tell you what to do. But you need to come forward. You need to take that step. But I realize that Most of us here are probably already Christ followers. And so are you telling others about Jesus? If you're not, you need to make a commitment to do that. So here's what I want you to do. In just a moment as we all stand and and our pastors are down front, I'm going to ask you to come to this altar and, and just say a quick, simple, heartfelt prayer to God. It can be this. Dear God, give me the courage to tell others about you. I want to.
That's all you need to do. Dear God, give me the courage to tell other people about you. I want to. And then go back to your seat. But if you're willing to do that, come forward and make that commitment. I want you to stand with me. I want you to bow your head. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to pray. And after I pray, we're going to sing a song. The altar is going to be open. If you need to give your life to Jesus, you come. If you need to make a commitment to be a more courageous witness, you come. Father God, this is your time. And I'm asking you right now, Father, in Jesus' name, to do what only you can do here this morning. Lord, I'm a broken vessel. Lord, I'm not a good messenger. But your message is wonderful. It's amazing. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone responds to your message today, whether it's to give their life to you and be saved or commit to walk in obedience, sharing your love with others. Oh, Lord, do something in our lives today, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we sing.